0: So hard. Ooh, Lord, my so hard. Don't know my trouble Don't know my trouble Welcome, everyone, to the Radical Reverend Show. As always, we're delighted that you're listening in, whether you are listening on the live radio show or are you listening on podcast we don't care we love that you're out there and please continue to send us your concerns your questions and your ideas you can reach me your host sherry de novo either on instagram on twitter or on facebook i'm easy to find c-h-e-r-i D-I-N-O-V-O, and always, as always, love to hear from you. Now, something exciting is happening in Toronto. It's the first, as we know, uh, in Canada called uh, The Christian Left. And this is the first conference of its sort. And I'm delighted to have on my radio show uh, our keynote speaker. And he's none other than Dr. York Rieger. He's the Distinguished Professor of Theology and the Cal Turner Chancellor's Chair of Wesleyan Studies founding director of Wendland Cook Program in Religion and Justice. Uh, Welcome to the Radical Reverend Show, York.
1: It's great to be here, Sherry. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, And uh, probably also need to say that this is all happening at Vanderbilt University, right? Uh, My teaching and this new Wendland Cook Program in Religion and Justice.
0: Yes, and for Canadians and those who perhaps don't know where Vanderbilt is, situate us. Where are you? Uh,
1: Good point. Yes, uh, we're in the southeast of the United States. Uh, That's right in Nashville, Tennessee. So what, um, you know, you might uh, think of as the opposite of uh, any Christian left intentions uh, is all happening here.
0: And our other guest, again, I'm delighted to have him on the show, is David Lattimore. Uh, David is, of course, now in Nashville as well. He's pastoring there. But he's also got a thesis uh, that he's, that's coming out, and he's working on his doctorate, having taught Black religious history, among other courses, at the University of Chicago. And his thesis sounds fascinating, Paradox of Progress, Neoliberalism's Impact on the Theology of the Christian Church. David, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here and obviously delighted also to be with one of my dissertation committee members, um, York. So a, a blessing to be here with you.
0: You have to be nice to him, don't you,
1: David? Let me add one, one, one comment on David's dissertation, which I just finished reading. This, this is indeed uh, really good work. And uh, I'm very glad to be on the program here together because uh, this, this is the sort of thing that we have to push more.
0: Yes. Uh, Just before we got started and we were chatting, I I was talking about the effects of COVID. I mean, certainly in Canada, we are hearing uh, how bad it is in the States. And I was hearing from David how it's impacted his church. Um, And York, what's happening at the university level? How are you feeling the impacts of the virus is what's happening?
1: Well, when it first uh, struck, everything shut down. So uh, for a while, you know, we were just uh, communicating online. Uh, We moved all the classes online. Uh, Now for the fall, uh, there's some effort uh, to bring students back. Uh, That is to say, you know, we'll have uh, hybrid models of teaching some classes online, some classes in person. Uh, But I think it's going to be complicated. Uh, And, uh, you know, as always, uh, those emergencies usually uh, strike those who are less established more than than those of us you know who have named chairs so i'm i'm especially worried right now about adjunct professors about professors you know who have to take care of children who cannot go back to school uh about uh, minority groups uh, which are of course as we know more affected by the virus uh those things um i believe need to be addressed by the university more but there are some efforts to do that and i'm i'm glad that we're um at least beginning to address some of these challenges.
0: Tell me, uh, while I've got you speaking uh, about the program in Religion and Justice, what what is that about?
1: So this is a new program, it's called the Wendland Cook Program in Religion and Justice. It was founded about a year and a half ago uh, and we're focusing uh, especially on uh, topics of economics and ecology uh, in an intersectional perspective to be sure. So, uh, you know, matters of race, gender, sexuality, and so on uh, also count. Uh, But we're especially uh, focusing on economics and ecology. Uh, The economic piece in particular, I believe, is uh, the one that's least addressed in theological education. And uh, in addition to uh, just talking economics, some theologians are doing that now we're also talking about labor issues which i think is where ultimately the robber hits the road and this is where everything comes together right Uh, working people also uh, have identities uh, you know they're members of various communities Uh, majority of working people uh, are also uh, in minority communities uh, affects the lives of women and so on So, so those are some of our questions And the way we're doing it uh, is, on the one hand, uh, we're producing academic work uh, that's much needed uh, because there's not much on that out there. Uh, But we're also doing popular education. So uh, we had a couple of webinars on religion, economics and ecology. Uh, We just had one the other day on religion and labor. Uh, And if your listeners are interested, you can find all of it on our website, which is religion and justice, just one word, religionandjustice.org. And uh, we have a blog, we have these webinars, that's part of the popular education. And uh, we're always interested in, in broadening these conversations uh, with not only people who want to listen, but people who want to contribute and also uh, make their own points and cases.
0: One of the issues that I wanted to, to discuss with you both, uh, first of all, of course, is what is the Christian left, which this conference will be looking at with a number of panelists and yourself, York as keynote speaker. Uh, I, again, you know, maybe David, uh, you, you want to weigh in here. What, what to, to you, when you hear the term Christian left, what does that mean?
2: Well, when I hear the term Christian left, obviously it, it creates for me a, uh, a, a place of uh, tension between Christian left and Christian right. And so it it advances a notion that there is an understanding of Christianity that um, both stands in tension with many of the kind of cultural ideas. Uh, that currently dominate uh, our society, and again, what has been labeled on the Christian right. It is a, a movement that suggests that our understanding of our God, our relationship with God, and our relationship with others requires that we be intimately and actively engaged in the advancement of justice for all people, with particular attention to those who are most consequentially impacted. By the systems around us. And so both as a uh, uh, theologian uh, and as a pastor, where I'm constantly confronted with the very real ramifications of life in the systems in which we operate in, I have, and I think the Christian left uh, creates a space for a real substantive dialogue around what do we as Christians do beyond what we say? What are the actions that we take? Not simply to respond to the cultural moment? but to respond to the systemic issues that have created many of the problems that have gotten exacerbated in this cultural moment. And, and what excites me is the, the reality that there is a segment of the Christian voice that can speak very powerfully in this moment and very consequentially to the challenges that we face and, and try to come up with real and practical and long-standing solutions that alleviate the burden on so many families and so many individuals in a way, again, consistent with our faith.
0: And, and York, uh, the Christian left, I, I mean, and often uh, sort of coming out of the left myself, and uh, prior to my becoming Christian, that would seem an oxymoron, uh, Christian left, uh, to us at one, at one point. And uh, so, so how do we get involved in that, in that conversation, even, uh, as Christians? You know, what are, you, what are your thoughts?
1: Uh, Yeah, thanks for that question, Sherry. Uh, You know, what's interesting to me is that if you sort of go back to the beginnings of Christianity, say go back all the way to the Jesus movement... um, You might argue that the Christian left is actually older than the Christian right, uh, because uh, you cannot read Jesus really uh, and keep a straight face as a right winger. Uh, Jesus is not a right winger. I'm sorry. Right. He's preaching good news to the poor. Uh, He's sort of uh, preaching condemnation uh, to those uh, who misuse and maybe perhaps even just use their power and their wealth for their own gain. Uh, those kinds of things are, are deeply rooted uh, and very ancient. Uh, there's new work done in New Testament studies that also reads Paul as a radical, right? We usually thought maybe Paul was a bit more conservative than this radical Jesus, but that's not true. Uh, I mean, I, I've done this in my own work in a book uh, titled Christ, um, Christ and Empire. Uh, you know, starts with Paul, where Paul uh, is actually... A quite radical critic of the roman empire so so here uh, if you sort of reclaim some of these roots um it might be uh, more interesting to see that the christian left conversation here um is something that didn't just start you know 100 years ago or whenever people thought we had to talk about left issues and it's certainly not a knee-jerk reaction to the christian right one of the misunderstandings i think is that people think christianity basically is on the right. Of course, uh, coming from Europe, uh, this is how Christianity is oftentimes viewed and when Europeans look to the US, they think this is just hopeless. It's all Christian, right? Uh, The truth is, uh, there are other expressions, uh, not just ideas. Uh, There's a long history. uh, And there's some really cool stuff happening today. Uh, I mean, I I see our own work really on this side as well. And so what we can talk about then is what's really happening and, and where are these movements today, Uh, and that's where I I would like to talk a whole lot more, uh, but I think it's exciting.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, It's interesting because in my political days, which I spent about 12 years in government here, I uh, would be constantly going to conferences in the States, and I would always look for a church to worship in on come a Sunday and I would always look for two markers, it, no matter where I was, south or, you know, anywhere. Um, and that would have been, uh, you know, whoever is standing up against the, whatever the recent war is, in Iraq was back then. And, um, and also which church and which congregation was statedly pro-marriage equality for LGBTQ people. And uh, I never had a problem finding a church, no matter where I was. Uh, in the United States and it was booming and there were people there and it was vibrant uh, without much looking, but that's never the voice that we see on mainstream media uh, or the face that we see on mainstream media or the voice that we hear. Uh, what? Why do we not hear your voice, York, more uh, and perhaps a little less of the, you know, the sort of the Trumpian right <laughs> voice?
1: That's a good question. I sometimes wonder uh, if there's some suppression going on uh, because, you know, while this may not be. The majority voice right now uh it, it isn't we're not claiming that uh it's a significant voice uh and, and like you're saying sherry uh it is happening in many places so here uh, i just said we're in nashville in the southeast of the united states uh which is a tennessee is a conservative state uh, but we do have progressive religious communities uh christian and and others you know Jewish, uh, Muslim, Buddhist, uh, and and so forth. Uh, it's all there, uh, but for some reason, uh, th- there's not any reporting on it. A few years ago, uh, this really occurred to us uh, during uh, the time of the Occupy Wall Street movement, uh, which... Uh, you know the way it was reported uh, was also reported as a very secular movement uh, and then of course um, certain violent acts that occurred uh, got a lot of attention what did not get any attention was that there was a lot of religious and interreligious engagement so so eventually a colleague of mine uh, Kwok Poilan and I wrote this book titled Occupy Religion uh, because we thought uh, not only was this a matter of reporting on what went on, it also needed some reflecting. What does it mean? Uh, and so we, we have a lot of ground to cover, uh, but that's part of uh, our new Cook program in Religion and Justice's task. You know how do we get the word out? Uh, and this is why it's great to have radio shows, uh, journalists, you know, newspapers uh, beginning to look again, because uh, there's something going on I, I'm not quite sure we understand yet.
0: Certainly there's something going on, and I, I, I'm i going to get to talking about uh, what we're calling up here the uprising, but the, this incredible movement that has taken on global ramifications of Black Lives Matter. Certainly it's been huge in Canada, of course enormous in the States, um, and I want to talk about that. But before we get to that, uh, York, your uh, keynote is called, uh, your, your topic is circular firing squads on the left. Now, I can imagine what that might deal with a little bit, but can you give us some hints as to your concerns in that and what you're going to be dealing with there?
1: What's really interesting in this current climate and and I think this is also uh, maybe a newer thing uh, is that on the left uh, there's a lot of struggling, a lot of talk of war back and forth uh, has to do with all kinds of issues, uh, a sort of infighting uh, that I think uh, is is really hurting the movement. Uh, and so uh, one could describe that of course, one way to describe it is to say you know um, a conversation whether, class social class is more important or race is more important or gender or sexuality is more important we sometimes call this the olympics of oppression Uh, And, uh, you know, it's oftentimes assumed uh, if you work in one of the uh, areas of the spectrum, uh, you're therefore also participating in the Olympics of oppression. Uh, I think that's a big mistake. Uh, This is not an either or one versus the other, uh, but we need some real serious conversations about how this is coming together. Uh, and I think this is this is the thing uh, that has been happening for a while, uh, but we need a lot more of it. So what I want to do in this talk is, on the one hand, I want to describe some of these divisions, uh, not just giving caricatures, but I'm really concerned about this problem. But on the other hand, uh, there are more and more voices that say we, we have to get beyond this. Uh, and, you know, uh, since we're going to talk about Black Lives Matter in a minute, uh, a lot of people are not aware of the Black Lives Matter platform uh, that can... Came out of earlier efforts, uh, which has very clear notions on economic justice, on the importance of labor, uh, on the importance of class. Uh, those kinds of things, uh, I mean, they're inherent in the movements uh, in so many ways, but uh, we need to address them uh, not to smooth over the differences, but really to bring people together in a new way.
0: It's interesting you have mentioned labor and economics and class and class. Uh, and class divisions and class antagonisms, uh, that old Marxist uh, analysis is very rarely mentioned these days, I find, in media or anywhere else for that matter, uh, outside of the, you know, the the, the left, which is still even, you know, in Canada and Europe, a small part of the conversation that would speak about class antagonism. Um, How do we, I'm going to ask you first, York, how do we move then from identity politics, not that there's anything wrong with intersectionality and identity politics, but how do we broaden this movement? How do we get beyond the circular firing on the left? And, and you know, uh, not even to speak about the Christian world for a minute, but, you know, this, is, this has proved so intractable uh, in the past, and particularly I, I would say in the, the U.S., what we see looking at it from abroad, is uh, the right wing capturing the working class um, voice, uh, not the left wing. So when you think about workers, um, you're, you're thinking about, you know, somebody who's going to be espousing right wing uh, Republican values and not left wing. Say more, York. <laughs> it's a fascinating topic.
1: Yes so, so 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 this whole notion of class, I mean uh, in, in some ways uh, th- this is what a lot of my uh, work in recent decades has been about. Uh, but it, it's difficult to talk about it uh, because whenever I say class, you know uh, people, quickly assume, oh, he's got to be a Marxist because Marx talks about class, Uh, or, you know, he's got to be sort of interested uh, only in white male workers in blue overalls, because that's what people think class is. Uh, Well, in reality, of course, when you say class, you know, you're talking about working people um, to some degree, right? You have to talk about working people who in real life uh, are For the most part, uh, very often minorities, women, uh, immigrants, uh, and and those kinds of things. So saying class, uh, you know, uh, really always uh, has to include that. But currently in the conversation, that's not happening. Uh, One way to do it, uh, I I have found, uh, is to talk about work and labor. Uh, Because when you think about that, um, 99% of us, have to work for a living. Uh, that, that was one of the things uh, you know, that became clear uh, during Occupy Wall Street. Uh, the language of the 99%, uh, of course, it's a symbolic number. Uh, maybe it's the 99.9%. Uh, but those of us who have to work for a living are people uh, who are somehow dealing uh, with issues of what we are calling the working majority. Uh, and so, so class, all of a sudden, uh, if you frame it this way, uh, becomes a much bigger issue that, that affects uh, many more of us but let me add one more thing you know this whole notion of class struggle this is what sh- what really scares people right oh when you say class struggle all of a sudden you must be a marxist uh but you know uh, these days if you're an essential worker what in COVID 19 we're calling essential workers right if you're a grocery worker if you're working in an amazon warehouse uh, you do not need to read Karl Marx to learn about class struggle uh, you simply look at your everyday reality, at your relationships at work, at the way you are treated uh, by management, uh, perhaps by the customers. Uh, And uh, you learn something about tensions between the classes uh, where you do not need uh, a university PhD uh, to understand it. I mean, any child can see it. Uh, The funny thing is, since people are so afraid to talk about class, they can't talk about it, but that's where we need to go.
0: Uh, By the way, if you're just tuning in to this podcast or radio show, you're listening to The Radical Reverend Show. I'm delighted to be speaking to today uh, Dr. York Rieger, who from Vanderbilt University in Nashville uh, has written a multiple number of books. And also with him, David Lattimore, who who is a pastor in Nashville, uh, teacher and uh, working on his doctorate. And and David, I'm going to just jump to you because your thesis is called Paradox Progress, Neoliberalism's Impact on the uh, Theology of the Christian Church. So uh, not that you want to sum up your entire thesis in in a sentence or two, but neoliberalism is another term like class that we don't hear outside of university circles too frequently. Um, Tell us a little bit about what you mean, just even in the title.
2: Well, some of it is is, um, certainly consistent with the comments that York just mentioned to us, um, that the reason that conversations around class and labor have been frustrated uh, within some ecclesial settings uh, is because we don't often realize the degree to which uh, we have been uh, shaped and emerged in these set of ideas that even affect uh, how we uh, envision our relationship with God and our relationship with one another, uh, and I, th- I think, in part, what neoliberalism has done is it has. Uh, work to bracket off conversations that threaten its own stability. So uh, when you begin to talk about class in the way that York has mentioned and recognize the really sweeping expanse of class and how we're all, uh, uh, or most of us, or many of us, are engaged in the labor market, so these things and conversations have consequence, you see why these conversations ought to be occurring, but because oftentimes, even within Christian communities and certainly within African-American Christian communities, uh, there is this meta narrative that affirms some of the fundamental precepts of, of neoliberalism. So we avoid the conversations that threaten it. And part of what I've, I have at least tried to begin tearing at is: in what ways has the church, and specifically the black church, operated in in ways that? affirm certain ideas of neoliberalism that ultimately work to our disadvantage? And how do I, as a leader of a Christian community, begin to rethink even my engagement with both my God and my community in ways that better reflect uh, certain principles that can be articulated as parts of the Christian theological discourse, but in ways that press against some of our common understandings of the way the world works? and bring us into these conversations around class or issues or gender or sexuality or whatever uh, the that, that otherism that is operative within our discourse is, is working. So part of what I, I see and part of what I'm trying to write at, and I'm doing it in a very embryonic form and I've been very blessed by many of the questions and uh, issues that York has raised for me to help me think more deeply on these. But what I'm trying to process is that if we are to be a version of that Christian community, it requires that we be very critical around those ideas that have shaped our reading of scripture and our practices and to always be interrogating them to see how faithful they are to an understanding of the mission and the life of Jesus and where necessary to take the corrective steps Um, We we spent a lot of time thinking about uh, the growth of churches, and uh, I could spend every week of of every year going to some conference that told me how to expand my membership or to grow my campus or to manage multiple campuses, but I'd be hard-pressed to find conferences that help me to understand what should be my commitment to the poor and how do I practically live that out or how do I take up some of these systemic issues and begin to work on them. And, and I think it's there's space for us to re-engage this conversation for the Christian community. And so that's what my writing and I didn't sum it up in one or two sentences. I apologize. Uh, but that that's the that's the heart of some of the issues that I'm trying to grapple with.
1: If I could add here, um... I'm just uh, thinking the work that uh, David is doing is is really important because it shows us something about class that usually does not get discussed at all and that is you know when people say class they think well it's economics it's jobs uh but what David has shown is uh this class Struggle thing is also shaping up in church communities. And uh, in his case, he has shown how in the black churches uh, themselves You know, you have this neoliberal liberal uh, Movement, uh, which is not just a matter of ideas, but it's also about certain uh powers and class positions, positioning themselves, uh, and and they're shaping us all the way to the core. So the class problem then shapes religion. Uh, Of course, it shapes politics. I think we all see that more clearly. Uh, But the fact that it shapes us as individuals uh, and therefore has to be talked about, it it shapes our identities. Uh, That, I think, is where the research has to be done and the conversations need to happen a lot more.
0: Uh, By the way, out there in listener land, uh, we are, of course, talking to uh, Dr. York Rieger uh, from Vanderbilt University, a distinguished professor, uh, uh, part of the program in religion and justice down there, and David Latimer, who is a pastor down there, also a teacher and uh, about to Hopefully, Touch would get his doctorate uh, in theology. Uh, and we're, of course, speaking about uh, in light of the Christian Left Conference that's happening in Toronto, based in Toronto. But you can sign on anywhere to that conference. And I absolutely encourage you to do so. Uh, you can find the Eventbrite uh, signing on process either at uh, University's Emmanuel, U of T's Emmanuel College or you can find it at Trinity St. Paul's Center for Faith, Justice and the Arts, which is my day job, uh, and uh, the Toronto Mennonite uh, College as well. So go to any of those sites, you'll find the Eventbrite uh, invitation there, please sign on. You'll hear both uh, Dr. Rieger plus many other panelists during the two days and that's August 14th and 15th. Uh, York, I wanna get back to you uh, because most of our listeners for the show are not necessarily uh, active in a Christian church or any church for that matter. I would, I would, you know, look at probably most of them on their progressive left or would see themselves as that. So for many on the progressive left in Canada, in Europe and in the States, this idea of religion, any religion, having much to say about and, and really, you know, having the effrontery to say it, <laughs> coming from, especially in the Christian lexicon, from a church that's associated with, you know, colonialism, with racism, with misogyny, and mean, face it, it's all in our background as an institution, may not be there biblically, um, and I would absolutely ring with what you're saying, I don't think it is there biblically, but but, you know, how do we break through into that conversation to say, yes, there is something Christians can add to this conversation? Um, and and we, we do, you know, have not only um, do we need to say it, but we have a right to say it. Uh, where, where would you go with that?
1: maybe a first comment about the bible uh i, I think uh, i mean there's a lot of progressive uh material uh in the bible certainly in the gospels i mentioned paul earlier uh if you go in the hebrew bible there's the prophets uh there's the exodus which i believe is sort of a very early labor struggle and moses is a labor leader uh so uh there's certainly uh, all this material uh there's other material in the bible itself as well and they're very early on in christianity are forces that try to you know tone down some of this radicalism and so in the pauline literature sort of some of the later pauline or pauline letters you know you already get some soft pedaling. so that may be uh, fairly common uh and of course that's how christianity has shaped up uh, not only soft pedaling, but oftentimes moving to the right but your question is you know we're, we're do you go uh, for uh, this this left conversation Um, And and the thing that may be most difficult for Americans, uh, easier for Canadians uh, and also for Europeans, uh, is is, uh, to take a look at where a lot of these struggles have shaped up in history, uh, and that is via working people, because working people ultimately have to address these issues in terms of their whole identity. So that includes uh, not only class, but also race and gender. Uh, And I mean, we know that, but we 're not always talking about it and If you look at that uh, you 'll find uh, that there have always been uh, not just a few individuals but religious allies, oftentimes religious movements uh, that put themselves on the side of working people that you know working people themselves who work people of faith uh, move things forward so in the history, say of the United States, a little over a hundred years ago major labor battles uh, that we're still benefiting from those are battles of the left right uh, were won by uh, christians uh, you know churches and unions working together that includes the eight-hour workday children's uh, children's labor you know uh, women's protection at work pension plans weekends of work uh, those kinds of things uh, a lot of that was was actually won by religion and labor together uh, most of that we have now forgotten uh, and if you sort of start digging through the history there, there's a lot more of that history of um, left uh, political left uh, economic left uh, and and religious left Uh, working together. Uh, Now, some of that is still happening. I mentioned the Occupy movement earlier. Uh, There was a lot more of that uh, than people now, even a couple of years later, seem to remember. Uh, And and currently, you know, if you look at who's out on the street, uh, there's a lot of religious people, people of faith, joining uh, the various movements, uh, including, of course, the Black Lives Matter. Now, that's not a rosy picture of Christians always being on the right side. But I think uh, we we have to draw a fairly clear line here uh, to say uh, there is a right-wing Christianity. There's a lot of liberal Christians also. But there is also a dedicated Christianity on the left, uh, and that's the stories we have to tell. I'll, I'll be doing some of that uh, for sure in my talk uh, in Toronto soon, uh, but but uh, we, we need more conversations.
0: Let's move then, as I promised that we would, to the uprising, to the Black Lives Matter movement. And I, I should let you know that just like other countries around the world, it's had a phenomenal impact in Canada sadly not uh where policing is concerned as dramatically as it has in some american cities but it did come up for a vote at our city council here in terms of defunding the police. It was a very modest request from the left of council calling for 10% defunding. Uh, what ended up happening was, in fact, that was defeated, and what was put into place was body cameras. So, in fact, they ended up spending more money on the police force. Um, ha- having said that, there's still been you know massive demonstrations here. There have been um a, you know pink washing of some of our racist statues. There's going to be renaming of streets here, um, and this is not just in Toronto, but certainly across Canada in its various forms. Um, But again, nothing like what we see south of the border uh, following on George Floyd's murder. Um, David, do you want to just start here and, and, uh, and maybe talk about uh, ways in which the church has engaged i mean we up here know the name of reverend barber for example um and of course everybody knows martin luther king you know and and the, the role of of black uh black scholars and pastors in in the uprising you know now and historically but um but you know fill it in for us because again um we're not as close to it as you are so what's happening in the states in terms of religion and the uprising Christianity in
2: particular? We certainly have reached uh, uh, an important inflection point uh, within life in American culture. And it is the result of longstanding simmering issues uh, that the regrettable death of George Floyd and so many others uh, has served as catalysts to give expression to these concerns. Uh, And we are also aided by the fact that not necessarily organized religion has led the effort for oftentimes we see individuals across spectrums or across religious and non-religious communities that have gathered together in a common pursuit uh, to give voice to issues of justice but certainly there has been present within those uh, uh, protests and within those discussions representatives of Christian communities that have aligned itself with labor uh, and with is, uh, individuals who are fighting on so many fronts to participate in this, this, this broader discourse. And I'm, I am both uh, excited about the fact that we've reached this point where the conversation is building a critical mass, but also deeply concerned that in addition to the moments of protest as important as they are, that we also use this moment to really make systemic changes. Um, because we, we can't have the occasion where we've come together and given an expression to our concerns around how people are treated and how people are governed and how their interactions with governmental forces occurs and whether they can participate uh, and, and create a, a wage and a living that sustains them. And all of the issues that are caught up in these conversations, those are important. But in order for there to be progress, that must really be systemic change that's occurred. And the role of the church uh, because. Both words and language and rhetoric and practices are so important. The role of the church is to to take some leadership in, within its own community to help Con- give a context to the protests that we see, to help our Christian communities understand how deeply aligned we are with many of the issues that have been proclaimed. And we're re- aligned with them regardless of our race and regardless of our profession and our experience. We're aligned because these are Christian issues and issues of the well-being, and, and not simply Christian issues. There, members of all faiths are also participating and al- al- aligned with these issues. But these are issues that ought to resonate with us. Uh, given our understanding of our faith and given our understanding of our religion, uh, that we ought to be a part of it. And so uh, where the religious community can be active is to both be engaged in the protests, to both be places that inform and educate its community to the relevance of these conversations, to their own well-being and to their faith, and to take leadership on uh, or, or to participate alongside others in advocating for, again, systemic change. What what impacts us is that every day I deal with men and women and families who are all along the economic spectrum from uh, uh, not in the labor market, underutilizing the labor market, participating in the labor market, or perceiving themselves to, to be in an advantageous position within the labor market. Uh, and yet across all of these spectrums, I can see all of the ways in which uh, they're all disadvantaged uh, uh, in very particular and very human ways. And the church's role is to be able to stand with them and respond to these issues in very practical ways, as well as fight for systemic change. So we're the church has a vested interest, along with all of the other elements of our community, in advancing the justice issue and to participate fully.
0: In light of the uprising, York, to get back to you. Thank you, David. Um, You know, one of the things that certainly pastors, uh, clergy here in their congregations a great deal of, I'm sure we've all heard it, is, you know, know, I didn't come to church to hear a political speech. Uh, I came to church because my life is tough to be shored up, to be given support, to be given a degree of spirituality so I can go out there back to my maybe soul-crushing job in many instances, and to be able to do it. Um, I, I, you know, I hear you, but that's not why I'm here. Uh, what would you say to that concern? And I'm sure many of your students are going exactly into those congregations where they're going to hear it often.
2: There are a couple of
1: responses. This is, this is such an important question. Uh, maybe the first one, uh, this is something, Uh, That we learned uh, in Germany specifically where where I grew up uh, coming out of the Holocaust namely uh, that those churches that uh Assumed they could be non-political and uh, my own church the methodist church in germany has a history of that Uh, Basically, they were not on the side of fascism not on the side of hitler. They thought they could stay out uh, and neutral Um, Afterwards, they realized that maybe by staying on the sidelines, uh, they were actually uh, just as political uh, namely supporting the status quo so, I'm not sure there is an option uh, where you can escape from these issues. Uh, and even if there were, I don't think the church ought to be that place of escape uh, just because of our traditions, because of our legacies. Uh, Jesus certainly did not stay out of the issues. I mean, ultimately, uh, this is what some scholars are now arguing this is what got him killed. He got too dangerous. You know, he began not just uh, giving fiery speeches, but Organizing people, uh, and so uh, that is part, I would argue, of of um, religion more generally, but but certainly Christianity in particular. Now, when we say politics, uh, we're not immediately saying party politics. I mean, parties are fine; they're important. You need them for something, uh, but politics is simply, uh, you know, um, the public areas of life uh, and and how they are affected. Uh, and, and I think uh, the churches to some degree have begun to understand that. I mean the more progressive ones, you know uh, And Sherry you were saying you found those even in the south of the US. We, we do have them uh, But there is one more layer to that conversation uh, that we're pushing uh, and that is to say uh, politics itself uh, is, is important uh, But usually we talk about politics without economics uh, and here's something else happened in Europe. Uh, you know, we won a lot of political battles, especially after World War II. Right. I mean, universal health care, uh, we could take that for granted in Europe uh, as well as in Canada, not in the U.S. Uh, I mean, various things, you know, you go to college for free uh, in Germany, most places in Europe, uh, all that was won on a political level. Uh, but if you have these strong economic imbalances where some people ultimately get to fund the campaigns and tell the politicians what to say, tell the pastors what to say, same thing, right? Um, if you do not address, in other words, uh, the economic context in which you find yourself, uh, all the politics in the world will ultimately not save you long-term either because that wheel can always be turned back. And so I would add actually to that conversation, not only do we have to engage more in politics just because that's who we are, we also have to engage a bit more, maybe a whole lot more in economics because that's what's right now uh, not so much discussed
0: Absolutely. Um, and, and that's there's another word that we haven't mentioned, which is capitalism, uh, but maybe we should. Uh, you're listening, of course, to the Radical Reverend Show here on CIUT 89.5 or on podcast uh, channels. And I'm speaking to Dr. Rieger, uh, certainly distinguished professor at Vanderbilt um, a whole long list of books to his name and also going to be the keynote at the Christian Left Conference here in Toronto the 14th and 15th of August. Uh, certainly contact me if you have a problem uh, signing up to attend, it's free uh, and you'll not only hear him but a number of panelists over those two days. And uh, we're also talking to David Lattimore who has taught Black religious history, is looking at Uh, the paradox of progress in Black churches and in the context of neoliberalism. So capitalism, uh, I mean, it it dawned on me as a kid. um, I grew up in a kind of lefty family, but uh, that in terms of ecology even, that this wasn't going to work, um, that you can't have companies constantly expanding and chewing up resources and growth, you know, constant growth around the world uh, without ultimately having an ecological problem. Uh, And certainly that's been the message of some ecologists and some environmentalists, not all. Um, But again, uh, that's a word that You'll rarely hear in a sermon <laughs> or in a church is to even talk about the economic system. And in many ways, you know, thinking of Fukuyama here, but who's gone out of style, uh, thankfully, I would say. But you know, we, we feel like we're at the end of history. You know, that that this is the world we've got. There's not going to be any changing it. Um, Nothing's going to change. In fact, labor unions, to your point about labor, you know, are losing members, not gaining members, less and less of the workforce is unionized, not more and more of it. Um, That struggle seems to, especially in Europe and Canada, you know, where people think, oh, well, we've won, we've won those battles or at least enough that people um, maybe aren't starving or at least visibly starving on our streets. Um, how is that an important conversation to have to even talk about our economic system and to name it and to maybe talk about alternatives? I don't know, Bernie did. <laughs> what do you think, York?
1: Of course. I mean, I, I think that that is uh, that is the thing uh, that is most difficult to talk about, though. And uh, in the United States particular, uh, what always surprises me is that even people that talk a lot about poverty and are concerned about poverty, they're not really talking about capitalism. Uh, There's somehow the assumption we can do more for poor people, we can help poor people, we can bring them into the game um, you know, uh, there are various social programs even uh, say if you're liberal There's a whole range of social programs Uh, but the question is not really ever asked Uh How come people are poor in the first place? You know, what is happening uh, in our system that we have these uh, amazing inequalities? Uh, And so in Europe, of course, uh, there was a long effort uh, where we thought, you know, this is what I thought growing up. uh, And and even in seminary, uh, we can simply tame capitalism, you know, and, and we tame it politically. We add a couple of regulations here and there. Uh, and you have a much more uh, favorable capitalism uh, in in Europe. I mean, uh, capitalism in some ways works for more people. Uh, but even in Europe, you see uh, that the inequalities are rising. The rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. So people concerned about poverty ought to be talking about that. Uh, right now, uh, they're mostly not. Uh, but so what would happen if you talked about it? Um, Sometimes then people say, Well, we really need a definition of capitalism. Well, uh, it's not that hard, right? Uh, it's a system uh, where gain, capital, uh, money uh, is at the heart of the program, right? Uh, we could talk about financial capitalism or sort of it seems like capitalism is just miraculously, you know, um, growing itself, you know, uh, rebirthing itself or something like that. Uh, but ultimately it has to go back uh, to how wealth is produced and wealth is produced by essential workers, right? Uh, you could not produce any wealth without actually people doing the work. And so, so in capitalism, we have a system, I mean, this is of course what can be debated, you know, if this is good or bad, uh, where uh, profit is designed not to go to the workers, uh, but go to the owners. There's actually in the United States a legal precedent uh, where a CEO of a company can be sued and has been sued. This happened to Henry Ford, by the way, 100 years ago, uh, where Henry Ford was sued by some of his shareholders because he wanted to reinvest some of his profits into his factories, uh, into his workers, uh, and the shareholders said the purpose of a corporation is to increase the wealth of the shareholders uh, and nothing else. Uh, that position was upheld, uh, that I think is still at the heart of the definition of capitalism, where profit goes to the top rather than to the masses. Uh, And if a CEO uh, were to change his or her mind on that, they can be sued and somebody else will be CEO. So it's not even, you know, we're talking about bad uh, managers or CEOs. Uh, We're talking about a system in which everybody has to function in a certain way, whether worker or CEO doesn't matter. Uh, And so alternatives here, um, let me give you one. Uh, In uh, the Wendland Cook program, of course, we're concerned about labor, I keep saying, Uh, but uh, we're also uh, forming strategic alliances uh, with worker cooperative uh, development. Uh, Here in Nashville, we have a new uh, entity called the Southeast Center for Cooperative Development. Uh, And when you think about what a co-op does, uh, it's actually not a nonprofit, a co-op is, in it uh, to make a profit. The difference is uh, the profit now actually goes to the workers uh, and therefore to their communities. It is determined by the workers. It's shared by the workers. Uh, It is democratically decided on by the workers. Uh, you might think, well, that's yet another form of business, but I would say that's an alternative to capitalism uh, that we're not seeing yet quite for how far reaching that really is. But but think about it. I mean, not, you now have working people calling the shots. Think about uh, if church were organized that way what that would do to religion think about if the university were organized that way what that would do to the academy to thinking to rationality think about you know if politics were organized i mean you you see my uh, you see where i'm going here uh it may be just a minor point this question of profit and then we have non-profits that just want to get away from well don't get away from profit. Simply ask the question, who is enjoying the fruit of our labors? How do we decide democratically on what we're going to do with them? Uh, And and you take it from there. Uh, And a few things will already change. It's not the whole solution, but I think it's a key issue.
0: Interesting that you should say that, Yorick. I, I was, as you were speaking, I was thinking, you know, one of the appeals of church itself in the Christian world is this community where really the aim of that community is to love one another is to essentially start a kind of alternative community to that which we find in the world uh in that we're supposed to be compassionate and look after each other and if one of us falls on hard times and we're supposed to look after that person And, and even in the most you know insular kind of congregation that 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 works, and for those who look outside their their doors, of course, that can be extended to communities. Um, and our church is, uh, at, you know, a place where this kind of organization can really start and then grow beyond uh, the congregation itself into the community. Because it dawned on me that uh, these buildings of ours, just think of the building, but these these organizations of ours could be actually. The beginning, as they were in parts of Eastern Europe, if we think back uh, the, of real resistance to uh, that which we find oppressive about the governments in which we find ourselves york i 'll give it to you first and then david i 'm interested in your thoughts. What do you think
1: I think this is the core, yes I mean uh, ultimately, life is about relationships, you know uh, this idea of individualism uh, it 's a myth you know nobody ever is a self made person uh, you always owe something to others uh, and by the way. Uh, the wealthiest persons are the least self-made persons because they uh, really benefit the most from from the work of of large numbers of people. Right? Think about it this way. So, so if you go back to this relationship and you say uh, the real key here is to love one another. Then the question becomes, what, what does that mean? You know, how do we live our relationships in such a way? Now, a capitalist might tell you, uh, this is of course uh, you know, uh, the reason for making profit uh, because if the rich grow richer, everybody grows richer. That's the philosophy of capitalism, right? This is the idea of giving tax cuts uh, to corporations and the wealthy. Uh, it's not stupid, uh, it's simply assuming uh, that uh, if the wealthy are doing better, the job creators are doing better, uh, jobs will be created. Uh, the truth is, we have not seen that happen. So uh, I think uh, whatever the theory here is, uh, it does not work. Uh, so, so what are the alternatives? Uh, and here, you know, the, the beauty is, uh, you know, a lot of people think of the left and then socialism as you need to have a huge state bureaucracy. Everything has to be controlled from the top down. Uh, that's one model that hasn't worked necessarily too well either. But we're talking about uh, rebuilding the thing based on relationships. Um uh, fundamental relationships in life. Of course, I uh, mean, you think of family, you think of personal relationships, uh, relationships and communities. The most fundamental one I would say is the labor relation. That's where you spend the bulk of your working hours. Uh, and if we can change some of those relationships, uh, imagine what that would do uh, to changing our family relationships, relationships in the church, you know, relationships. Uh, sort of, you know, uh, that, that you have uh, w- with everybody else. So, so since everything is connected I think we really have to have these bigger conversations. If you want to have better, more meaningful relationships with each other, if we really want to love one another, as as you know, Christians at least would argue, uh it, it has to go all the way up and it has to go all the way down. And unfortunately, we're not having the conversation right now. How does it go? all the way down uh, to the economic roots uh, that that shape all of our lives. And so so David's work on neoliberalism that shows how the neoliberal, uh, sort of a worse form of capitalism because everything is now deregulated, everything is about profit. Um, That now shapes us even in our churches. uh, And uh, once we start seeing that, I think we can develop some antidotes.
0: So David, can churches be centers of resistance or do they have to go along to get along and are we patching people up to send them back out or are we uh, actually uh, inspiring them to resist? What what do you think, can we do this?
2: Certainly we absolutely can and we're called to do so. Uh, And that's what's really exciting about this moment in our history, we have a unique opportunity and have been invited by circumstance to consider the role that we can play in reimagining the communities in which we exist and the world in which we operate, and and Yorg mentioned it. We are uh, there is this myth of individualism, and and while it is an illusion, it is a very powerful illusion, uh, and it operates in such a way that even within the church, it often reduces both our relationship with God and our understanding of our practices in terms of how those practices or relationships impacts me. So even if you take something like love your neighbor often to, or to do good works for your neighbor, because this overarching narrative of individualism is at work, then I even evaluate the, the good or the charitable activity I engaged in um, in terms of how does it impact me? What, how do I feel? Do I feel good about my hour at the food kitchen? Or do I feel good about a particular isolated act? And as long as it doesn't inconvenience me too much and provides me some positive brief feedback, then I'm happy to engage in it. But the ethic of love is far more radical than that. And it rejects some of the, 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 the consequences of individualism that are felt. And, and I think, um, even if you take something as simple as the Lord's Prayer, you know, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That our understanding of our mission requires our willingness to radically re-envision what does it mean to have God's will operative in every segment of our society. And it calls us to engage in a kind of rethinking that York is mentioned with the cooperative to rethink how can the world operate and how can we as a church use our facilities, use our resources, and use our people in ways that begin to provide examples of different and alternative ways of being, living and existing. So an exciting time, but a very challenging time for us, and a real opportunity for the church.
0: Certainly, uh, you, you talked about charity, and certainly it, it seems to us that, you know, moving from the charity model to more of a prophetic model is, uh, and, and again, resistance model is, is one of the calls. So today on The Radical Reverend Show, I've been delighted to have Dr. York Rieger uh, from Vanderbilt University, author of multiple books, distinguished professor of theology, and founding director of the Wendland Cook Program in Religion and Justice, as well as David Latimer, who is a pastor in Nashville, Tennessee, comes out of University of Chicago where he taught black religious history, and whose thesis, Paradox of Progress, Neoliberalism's Impact on the Theology of the Christian Church, is about to be read by his dissertation committee. Uh, it's been a lot of fun and if you want to hear more on this please do, completely free, join up to the Christian Left Conference, the first of its kind in Canada. And you can do that very easily at Trinity St. Paul's website, at Emmanuel College's website, at the Edge website. Uh, Certainly all you need to do is to hit on the Eventbrite button. We would love to have you there. It's August 14th and 15th and multiple panelists as well as Dr. Rieger as the keynote. So do join us then and always interested in what you have to say about the show. So do send that to me on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. Until next time on The Radical Reverend Show.